Welcome to Sky Team's People First with Morag Barrett. Welcome to this week's episode of People First, where leaders come to accelerate their leadership journey. And my guest this week is the fascinating Dr. Rajesh Kumar, who is an expert in international business strategy and cross-cultural management. Originally from India, Dr. Kumar has lived and worked in the United States, the UK, Denmark, France, Finland, Netherlands, and New Zealand. And through personal experience and academic study, he has developed a deep appreciation and awareness of the importance of the cross-cultural dimension and how it impacts strategy formulation and implementation. Dr. Kumar has a PhD degree in international business from New York University, an MBA from Rutgers University, and, and a master's degree in economics from the University of Delhi. He's the author of International Negotiations in China and India, published by Macmillan in 2011, and he's also co-authored Doing Business in India, which was published by Macmillan in 2005. So, Dr. Kumar, welcome to People First. Thank you, Marek. Thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. As a woman who's had an opportunity to work with leaders from more than 20 countries and on four continents, as a transplant myself, the cross-cultural and the global impact for all of us cannot be underestimated. However, before we get into the juicy stuff, sure. I want to start with your origin story. So when you go back to being a wee lad, you're growing right. up, you're in primary school, middle school. Yes. And the teacher says, Rajesh, what do you want to be when you grow up? What was your so, answer? Right. So again, here you get into culture. <laughs> Because at the time when I was growing up in India, the dominant, uh, the dominant focus was on becoming a bureaucrat because India in the 70s was, you know, a fairly restricted economy. It was not so open, was not doing so well. And, you know, given the hierarchical structure of the Indian society, the best thing for everyone at that time or the dominant ambition was to become a bureaucrat and to enter the Indian Administrative Service, which is actually a precursor to the Indian Civil Service, which was established by the British when they ruled India. So, you know, that was what everyone had set its ambitions on, their ambitions on. And my parents wanted me to join that service as well, but I, it was not to my inclination, not to my taste. Mm. And... <laughs> and perhaps didn't suit my temperament. So I decided against that and uh, decided to venture overseas. And my first uh, journey out of India was actually in England, where wow. I went to London. Uh, and I was at that time uh, article with an accounting firm and uh, trying to become a chartered accountant. But again, I kind of got disillusioned with that and then moved to the US. So oh, interesting though, because I mean, I started in numbers as well, 15 years in finance and realized that's <laughs> part of the equation, but it's the human element that makes the change. So sure. again, not a bureaucrat, not an accountant. Right. So what was the inspiration then for cultural awareness and the, the working of peoples from around the world? Right. So I think one was my own practical experience, because when I moved from India to the US, it, I faced a culture shock. 
because clearly mm -hmm. the British way of doing things is very different from the way people do things in India. And I struggled in terms of communication, in terms of getting myself understood, in terms mm -hmm. of understanding what the others were, were saying or what the intentions were. And so I realized at that point in time that this is an important issue and, uh, and I needed to change myself. And so, and then when I moved to the US, there was again a little bit of a culture shock, less so, but still there. And, uh, and then in the process, I also came to recognize the positivity of these differences because mm -hmm. you meet wonderful people, you come to appreciate different ways of thinking. You are really introduced to things uh, that you may not have been aware of. And so I think in retrospect, and in fact, looking back, it was a very positive experience. But when you're going through it, and especially initially, it's a little bit of a challenge. It is. I mean, I remember when we moved to the States, obviously from England to Colorado here, and allegedly we speak the same language. Yes. I can confirm from my own faux pas that we, mm, American English and English English don't always translate. Correct. But even going to the grocery store, yes. calling it a grocery store versus a supermarket is one example of language difference. But the brands look different and the uh, the climate is different here in Colorado to where I grew up. So the foods I would cook didn't feel like it suited where we were living and what we wanted to eat. But I couldn't even tell which brands were the ones that I might want to purchase. And so thinking about it at a human level, it's not just the language breaks, but it's the, the customs, the etiquette. Absolutely. And just putting food Absolutely. on the table feels weird and different. Absolutely. And if I'm not mistaken, I think this British company Tesco tried to enter the US market mm -hmm. and I don't think they succeeded. They didn't. And there are, there are plenty of stories like that. So let's start there then. Where does a lack of uh, appreciation for national culture and the similarities or differences, how does that impact a company's performance? Oh, it does so in so many different ways. Uh, I think, first of all, if you don't really understand the local mindset, the local needs, the local, uh, uh, you know, the local desires, you might, number one, end up producing a product that, that, uh, that nobody wants to buy. And I think to some extent that's, that's one of the issues, if not all of the issues that happened with Tesco and a number of other companies. And same thing has also happened with General Motors in India. They, they exited after 21 years. They tried a number of different models. But the fact of the matter is that they could not produce a low price car because India is a price sensitive market. Mm. And so they ceded the market to their Korean competitors. So the first thing is you've really got to really understand the local mindset, the local uh, orientation. And if you don't, then I think, you know, there's going to be a problem in terms of what you offer and what the market is willing to accept. And the same thing also happened with eBay when they were entering China. So, so they had a Chinese competitor which allowed the buyers and the sellers to communicate directly, whereas that, that was not permitted on eBay. Now, that became a disadvantage for them because in China and in other Asian countries, 
relationships are very important and personal interaction is so critical. So you've really got to understand the interface and the, and the, and the, and the need for local responsiveness if you are going to succeed. Now, I recognize that as soon as managers hear the word local responsiveness, it means greater costs. Yes, because you've got to adapt. But on the other hand, if your interest is in longer term market penetration and potential, then I think you really do need to adapt. Now, I'm not saying all adaptation is necessary, but certainly, you know, you need to get to know the lay of the land. And, and realize the boundaries within which you can make the adaptation. So it's interesting as I listen and I'm thinking about the clients and leaders I'm working with who are working internationally or the leaders who are leading internationally, whether they're, sure. they've got uh, offshore resources that they're yes. tapping into or cultural dynamics on their team. So I'm curious, first of all, on the basics. Which is easier for me to learn? Is it the business rules of engagement abroad, because there's a textbook and a manual? Yes. Or is it the the human bit of how business gets on the peoply bit, which trips up leaders more often? Is it? I think it's the human aspect of it, mm-hmm. and I think the other thing is that the two things are kind of interrelated. So even if you have a certain manual or certain rules or regulations. The fact is that how they're implemented, how they are used, varies across different cultural contexts. And so you've really got to get to, as I said earlier, the lay of the land, Mm -hmm. which is what works, what does not work. What is the real, you know, what is the actual way of doing business as opposed to the stated way of doing business, yes? So everyone will talk about transparency and honesty and all of this, yes? Yeah. And yet how this manifests itself is different in different uh, contexts. So tell us a little bit more about that. I know, for example, negotiation. Yes. How does that differ across cultures and across uh, countries? Absolutely. So, you know, in a lot of Asian countries or cultures, negotiation is about building relationships. You've got to spend time together. You've got to socialize. You've got to, uh, you know, you've got to, you've got to, you know, you've got to build trust. Now, a lot of Western managers who go to Asia, you know, at times to get frustrated because it takes long time. It takes a long time to get down to do business, and uh, and so they often may not have the patience or the uh, or the ability to actually cope with those particular differences. But, you know, the thing is that for a lot of people in Asia, I think building trust is vital. And you build trust through interpersonal connections. And how do you build interpersonal connections? You know, I think you, as in other situations as well, you know, you meet people socially, you have a drink, you go out for lunch, you 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 converse, you get to... Uh, uh, you get to know each other. Now, for the Western manager, you know, this is considered as something different from uh, doing business. But I think the point is that in a number of different cultures, the two things are, are completely interrelated. 
And, and similar but different. I mean, I'm thinking about my own experience, obviously working in London. Yes, you'd go to the pub, you'd go out for a meal, yeah, sure. there's your food and drink, you yes. start to build a relationship. When I was working in Asia, however, the idea of taking clients and customers to a karaoke bar in order to close the deal was yes. not uncommon. But of course, sure. from, coming from a British perspective, it was like, heck, you're not going to get me singing anywhere <laughs> um, and probably for good reason. So, so as leaders are thinking about the environments that they're working in, what are the sort of first steps that they can take in order to become more culturally aware, but also culturally adept? Right. So the first thing is they uh, they need to get out of, the, out of their comfort zone. Mm. They need to actually recognize that there is an alternative reality. Because unless you don't recognize that, then I think there's going to be a problem. And so it might very well be the case that a lot of countries look to America or look to the West in terms of uh, you know in terms of guidance in terms of source of inspiration and certainly you know us has obviously been the leader in a lot of high-tech industries but the fact of the matter is that even as they look towards the us you know in a lot of asian cultures business is very personal and so i think you've got to recognize that and realize its uh, its importance and often enough, people who have not gone out of their own particular country, they don't recognize that there's such thing as culture. So mm -hmm. I think there needs to be that initial awareness, yes. And in terms of adeptness, I think it is a matter of time. It requires training. It requires having a corporate, uh, uh, corporate management team that is very diverse because mm -hmm. then they can actually pick up clues and be sensitive to what is required to succeed in different markets you need to uh, train people socialize people it's a process it's not something that is going to happen overnight but if you're going to be active globally then you've got to create a unit in your own organization that is going to create or develop people who develop these particular kinds of skills. So yes, a unit if your organization is big enough or at least the confidence in your own to age your reading before you go, um, to perhaps ask somebody who's on the ground locally to continue to give us feedback as we're learning sure. to flex and adjust around the customs, norms, and expectations. Right, absolutely. And then I think what you can also do is not everyone is going to succeed globally. Mm -hmm. So you also need to have the right kind of selection in terms of what kind of individuals will succeed in those environments. So tell us so, more about that then. How do we identify whether I am suited to working internationally or if I'm promoting or hiring leaders into international roles? Right. So there are a lot of yeah, so there are a lot of cross-cultural consulting firms that do this. There are a lot of psychometric tools that are available. And, uh, you know, so basically, you know, you're looking for certain traits such as, uh, you know, emotional intelligence or cultural intelligence or patience or the ability to build relationships, uh, you know, and you've got to have somebody who has openness, who's open 
to really uh, understanding different cultures oriented to differences because very often what happens is we consider differences to be wrong and and i think we need to move beyond that mindset and we consider that to be wrong because you know we operate on the basis of our mind and the mind likes to control the mind wants predictability and the way you get predictability is by creating these silos you know it's either x or y right mm -hmm. but the fact is that when you go into novel environments you need to be you need to go beyond that mentality beyond that dichotomy beyond beyond that dichotomy of it feels yeah. right it feels wrong it's like right not right likely. yeah because you know we we are 95% of the time you know our mind is acting unconsciously we're making judgments do we like someone do we dislike someone do we uh, do we trust someone do we not trust someone else yes and mm -hmm. i'm saying when you're going in a cross cultural context you need to go beyond that because your initial judgments can be completely wrong can be completely can be completely inappropriate because you don't have a good understanding of the lay of the land. How important is language in being a good international leader? I think it is helpful. And, uh, you know, I'm not saying that it is, uh, you know, so if you are going to be resident in a country for a long period of time, you know, as a country manager or otherwise, that it's helpful to know the language. It's not, it is, so it is helpful, I would say. I won't say it's critical. I think what's really more important is your personality and your attitude. Because ultimately people will react to you based on your attitude, your personal orientation. They might forgive the fact that you don't know the language, but you know, um, so I think that's really more important though. I'm not downplaying the importance of language. I think if you're going to be resident in a place for a long time, it is certainly helpful to know that. But I think a lot of companies, certainly US companies, when they send managers overseas, they send them for just three years, mm -hmm. which is I think a short period of time. Whereas if you take a look at Japanese or other companies, they send them for six or seven years. So what advice do you have for leaders who may be about to embark on their first international assignment for that first um, transition period where you've got off the plane, off the boat, however you've made your way right. out of the car, maybe? Sure. Um, uh, those first few weeks and months, what, what tips and advice do you have for leaders here? I think right even, even before you set down foot on the country, you need to prepare even well before in advance. So the one thing which I think is very important, preparation, preparation, preparation. <laughs> mm -hmm. I cannot stress the importance of that, uh, you know, and this means, you know, trying to familiarize yourself with as much as you can about the local culture, trying to identify local resources on the ground who can actually help you, assist you, try to have some kind of a dialogue anyhow before entering that particular culture and then you've also got to just display the ability to learn to adapt because that will be essential and uh, and so it is a process that that takes time 
And sometimes that does not happen. Uh, you know, I also it took me a while for me to adapt when I moved to England and then to the US. And I can share, share with you another story of a German company that was, uh, that had entered into a distributorship agreement with the company in India. And they signed the contract and they thought everything was hunky-dory. And then they realized that the, their products were not selling. And, uh, and so they wondered what was going on. And, uh, and then the CEO of the Indian company visited Germany. Uh, and uh, now he was of the, he was expecting that he would be treated well but the Germans actually just gave him a 45 minute lunch in a cafeteria. He felt mm. insulted because he felt that, uh, that uh, you know, that he needed greater respect or whatever. And the fundamental problem was that the Germans didn't realize that the products that they were trying to get this company to sell, that company was not interested in selling them. They wanted other products from this German company with the German company did not give to them. Now, here you have a very fundamental communication problem, sense-making problem, and the party signed a contract, but they really had no great understanding. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm curious, I mean, as we look at the pandemic, the impact that's had sure. both on global business and yes. supply chain challenges, sure. it's had an impact on our ability to go and have a drink locally, yeah, let sure. alone internationally, exactly. build yeah. relationships. Right. So what are some of the key learnings that have come out of the last two years that you're sharing in your research and teachings? Right. So I think it is, obviously, I think it has made doing business difficult. And I've spoken to a number of people and uh, they say it has been hard to build relationships. Yes because you do not have the face-to-face uh, -face interaction. Now, in cases where relationships have already been built, it's a little easier, but it is difficult to really initiate something new, especially in the context of uh, doing business in Asia or Latin America or whatever it is. But I think it's probably changing now because people are moving around now. And so you look so, at the future, what's caught your attention in terms of, huh, that needs some further investigation. What do you think is next for the research in international business and cross-cultural competence? Right. So I think a couple of things on the, on the international business side, I think, uh, you know, we're living, going through a period of great transitions, uh, transitions within countries and across countries. And I think the jury is still out as to how this is going to play itself out uh, because we see a lot of, uh, so we see in Europe, the Brexit and now Boris Johnson wanted to, wants to tear up that deal with the EU. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, you know, that's consequential. And uh, so there's uncertainty there in terms of what happens, yes. We have ongoing tensions, of course, between US and Russia and also with China. And yet the thing is, the West is so dependent on China. So how do you actually uh, balance the two? And uh, so you have both economic tensions and also geopolitical tensions. So I think right now it's a period of uncertainty and, uh, and uh, 
not clear, not clear how things are going to pan out. In terms of the uh, cultural issue, I think again we see a problem challenge now because many countries are getting very insular. And as they're getting insular, I think, you know, there's going to be, uh, you know, with the exception of the people who are converted, who already recognize the importance of this, I think you're going to see tensions emerging uh, between, uh, between, you know, the, and one of the fundamental problems in cultural adaptation is who does the adaptation? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there is a, there is a pragmatic question answer to it. There is a power based answer to it. So if I'm more dependent on you than you are on me, then maybe I will be forced to make that adaptation. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that's that's looking at issue of dependency, but. The pragmatic thing is, yes, even if that may be the case, but if you're going to do business over the longer term, then I think there needs to be mutual accommodation and adaptation. Mutual accommodation and adaptation. But I think it is very difficult because people seem to be so deeply rooted in their own cultural identity and they find it very difficult to get, get, get out of that. So getting out of that then, so how can listeners to the and viewers of this week's episode learn more about their own baseline um, culture, competence, and international business ability and learn to flex? Where can we learn uh, about your work? Right. So I think the number of things they need to talk to a lot of people who've had uh, different kinds of experiences because, you know, with diversity, you will be, you will you will realize uh, uh, opportunities or avenues or ways of doing things that you hadn't realized before. So I think talking to people with different backgrounds, to people who have actually lived and worked in different countries, yes, that will be a very, very important source of learning. And then you've got to really immerse yourself as well uh, in terms of a particular culture or cultures. And there will always be differences, but I think the key to this is to focus on the similarities and to recognize that we are all united by the fact that we are all one in some sense, as philosophers or other uh, spiritual scholars would tell us. So I think we tend to focus on differences, not on similarities. Dr. Kumar, I appreciate all of your insights today and uh, for sharing some of your experience of working internationally and your studies and research. I wish you ongoing success. Thank you for joining me on People First. Thank you, Marat. Thank you for inviting me and being a guest. Thank you so much for joining Morag today. If you enjoyed the show, please like and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. If you learned something worth sharing, share it. Cultivate your relationships today when you don't need anything before you need something. Be sure to follow Sky Team and Morag on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you have any ideas about topics we should tackle, interviews we should do, or if you yourself would like to be on the show, drop us a line at info at skyteam.com. That's S-K-Y-E team.com. Thanks again for joining us today. And remember, business is personal and relationships matter. We are your allies.